Good morning. Good morning. How many of you are awake? <laughs> Let the record reflect that 20% of you raised your hand. I am delighted to be before you. We miss Pastor Craig, but I always like the opportunity to share the word with you. I bet you guys know what this is. This is a calendar, that's right, and on this calendar appears months and days. Uh, Do you know the purpose of a calendar? What's the purpose of a calendar? So you don't miss important dates. I'll buy that. It's really to tell you where you are with regard to the year, right? That's right. And... uh, I want you to know that uh, calendars are important to a lot of people. You're looking at the Amato calendar for 2017, and Sherry was so reserved about this. She said, but you sure you want to show them our calendar? And I said to her, no one can read what's on this calendar. Could you all turn to Sherry now and say, we can't read it? I want to know why it's a... Is that okay, Cher? Let's think for a second about today. Today's on the calendar. It's right here. What's the date today? The 6th. And what might be unique, absolutely unique in the calendar with regard to January 6th for this year? Do you know what's unique about this day? Well, now that, now, now that we have established the spirituality of the group that I'm preaching to, yes, it has the Bears game. And since you, since, since you offered that, carry, I want you to know it's also a, a day that the Michigan basketball team is playing. So let's get out all of our idols right here, okay? What is unique about this day? I'll help you out. What is unique about this day is it is the first and will only be the first Sunday of 2019. And that makes it a strategic day. If you were running a business as you entered into this particular week, two things would be happening if you were effective business. I know two people in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, One thing is, if you were an effective businessman, you would be looking back. You would be closing the books. You would be uh, taking account of things to see how 2018 was. And also, if you were an effective businessman, you would also be looking forward, making goals, strategic planning, as it were, to make sure that 2019 was effective. Now, in addition to businesses doing these things, Christians, individuals, should be doing these things as well. Did you know that the Bible teaches that every person, whether you're a Christian or not, is to give an accounting before God? That's in Romans. You can check me out there. And did you know that every Christian is going to give an accounting to no less than Jesus Christ. Did you know that? So when I'm talking today about an accounting looking backwards and strategic planning looking forwards, it's biblically based. Now, the question then would be, if you're a person 
who sincerely wants to obey and please God, how did 2018 go? This is not a flippant question, and I'm not asking you to volunteer a response, but it's an important and appropriate and fair question. If you were alone with Jesus Christ, and he was to sit down with you and say, well, how'd 2018 go? How would you answer that? And then if he said, what are your expectations? What are your goals for 2019? What would you say? I would hope that you'd have an answer. You see, this morning, we're going to take the second of a two-part series that started last week. John, thank you, John, so much for your sermon last week. He gave us a measuring stick with regard to what 2018 should have looked like and what 2019 should look like. This morning, I'm going to give you the same measuring stick, and therein lies the challenge to us. The title for the sermon today is The Greatest Invitation and the Least Likely Evangelist. And therein lies the challenge. Now, if we wanted to answer those questions about 2018 and 2019, um, we could take a look at the Great Commission. Many of you know, if not all of you know, about the Great Commission. Jesus arrested, tried, crucified, and was resurrected. And he appeared to his disciples and he issued what is called the Great Commission. The Great Commission was something that he wanted the disciples to embrace and obey and follow. So what was that Great Commission? That Great Commission is found in Matthew 28 and he says to them, go and make disciples. So let's use that as the measuring stick, okay? Let me meddle a little bit. How did 2018 go for you with regard to the Great Commission? Did you go and make disciples? Looking forward, in terms of 2019, is this your agenda? Is this part of what you want to see accomplished, that you will go and make disciples? Those are very fair questions. Let me dig a little deeper. Many of you here are members of this church, Village Church of Bartlett. Do you know what the mission of the Village Church of Bartlett, the thing that you agreed to honor and you actually sign something that says this? Do you know what it is? It starts out as going and then growing and then overcoming. I just want to stick with go. Because if you're a member here, whether you like it or not, this is what the church challenges us to do. I have the privilege of teaching a membership class. We have this manual. It's like 150,000 pages. And we cover it in a couple of weeks. And then I say, you sure you want to be a member? And everyone says yes and embraces it. But listen to a portion of what uh, is in the membership manual about the word go. Jesus' first command to his disciples before ascending into heaven was simple. Go make disciples. At the village church, we take this command seriously. Every ministry in our church is continually seeking to wisely, lovingly, and effectively bring the soul-saving, love-driven, redeeming gospel of Jesus to our friends, family, 
neighbors, city, and world. This is our mission, the mission statement says, because it was Jesus' mission. So if you're thinking about 2018 or 2019, you might want to consider the Great Commission and the mission of our church. Last week's sermon by John and this week's sermon is to challenge you and equip you and hopefully propel you about this mandate and this mission. Last week, John asked you a very provocative question. It's sort of tight for me to try to answer that particular question. His question was, what are you willing to do to bring a friend to Jesus? If you stop for a second, that is no small change. That is a very important question. Does it not cut to the heart of Christianity? And yet, how would you have answered it? What are you willing to do to bring someone to Christ? And then John was kind enough and insightful enough to lead us through a passage in Mark. And it was about this paralytic, if you remember and were here. He was brought by some friends to Jesus who healed him physically, but more importantly, healed him spiritually. What do we know about these friends? You know, when you look at the passage, you're struck with the fact that you don't know much. First of all, you don't know their names. There's no reference to Joe, Bill, Bobby, and Sam. There's no reference at all to any names. And I'm struck by the fact that Scripture believes names are really important. So important that sometimes God just chooses to change them. Simon, Peter, Saul, Paul. Names are really important. And sometimes they're emphasized by adding another name. This was a person, the son of. And so names are very important in Scripture, and yet no clue about names. Why is that? Why didn't God just tell us who their names were? I think in part the reason is that he wanted us to realize these people were just like you and me. Not someone on some high pedestal. Not someone with stature beyond measure. Not someone with an unattainable set of qualifications. Just everyday common folk. And not only is there no evidence about their name, there's no evidence about anything else about them. Uh, Their stature in the community their power, their qualifications, their jobs, their skills, education, religious background, nothing. Why? Again, I believe it was because they could have been someone just like you and me. But John was wise enough to tell us that they did have some characteristics that are very, very important. There were five of them. I wouldn't claim to and demand that you remember them, but there they are on the screen again. These are things that described these anonymous, faithful friends. They were committed to someone else, a friend. They were creative in their strategy for their paralytic friend. They worked together, collaborated in their strategy. They were adaptable to circumstances. A crowded room, how are we going to get in? Oh, let's just remove the roof. And five, they set aside human possibilities to proceed in faith. So back to the measuring stick. 
Did this describe you in your relationship with people that were important to you in 2018? And will this establish your criteria for your relationships in 2019? The result of their efforts was nothing less than miraculous, spiritual and physical healing. And so, can I suggest that these friends were engaged in the Great Commission and the Village Church of Bartlett East mission statement, even though it had not been written. They got it. Does this kind of story and the action that they took with the friend reflect what you were engaged in in 2018? Will it reflect what you are engaged in in 2019? This morning, permit me to challenge you in this regard. And in addition to teaching you just a little and hopefully encouraging you just a little, I'm going to leave you with a very practical, easy step that you can respond affirmatively to. So let's consider the invitation to come and see. The text this morning is found in John 1. I'm going to break it up into two sections. First, to set the scene, and second of all, to give you the scene. First of all, in John 1, starting with verse 35. Again, the next day, John the Baptist was standing, and two of his disciples. And he looked upon Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. I think there is an exclamation point after that. When you read scripture, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but when you read scripture, do you read it inquisitively and attentively and notice punctuation? This is a big deal. This is an exciting sentence. This is not something like, oh, behold, over there someplace is the Lamb of God. No, this is John preaching effectively. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and beheld them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where you stand? And he said to them, Come and you will see. They came, therefore, and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Permit me some observations. Let me just do a little teaching here. Observation number one. You need to know what the buzz around the land was. If you look at scripture right before this, you see that there was this preacher named John the Baptist. And he was holding court and preaching about the Messiah, repentance, and Jesus. And there was a buzz going on. People were saying, have you heard John the Baptist? Do you know what he's saying? Because if it was a Jew, he was talking about stuff that had been promised a long, long time ago and had not been delivered. Two previous days to this day, he preached that way. And who was in the audience? We know from the text that priests and Levites were there. They were sent by the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the A-team, the religious A-team. And in terms of a hierarchy in a theocracy, that's the highest you can get. They were the religious A-team. And why were they there listening to John the Baptist? Can I suggest that their motives were less than pure? They were there to investigate because they weren't sure what they were hearing and it sounded sort of threatening. But who else was in the audience? Though it's not verified by scripture, I believe 
Andrew was there because Andrew was one of John's disciples. Where would John's the disciples be but in the preaching arena for their teacher? Next, note that the two disciples left John and followed Jesus. Now just think about that for a second. You're a disciple of John. You have signed up for his mission. You have listened to him. You love him. You're learning tons. And yet, something he said made you leave him. What would have caused them to leave? Would you have left? And notice, they just didn't leave in general. They left for a purpose. And the purpose they left for was to follow Jesus. In the grand scheme of things, great things. But I'm wondering if I would have just hung around with John. Real comfortable. He knows me, I know him, we know what the gig is. This Jesus had some uncertainty about him. Notice Jesus' question. What do you seek? Jesus was always inviting people to encounter something, normally himself. It was almost like, one commentator says this, it's almost like um, he, he didn't ask who they were seeking, he asked what they were seeking. It's almost like he assumes they, like the rest of mankind, me, you, everybody else, that they are in pursuit of the thing, quote, which satisfies their deepest need, gives reality to their dreams, and substance to their hopes. Their question indicated they wanted more of Jesus. What a wonderful question to ask. Where are you stating? There's a French uh, philosopher that lived a while back, Pascal. He was one who's had quotes like every other philosopher. Listen to what he says, because it's pertinent to where we're going. He says, there is a God-shaped vacuum inside the heart of each man and woman, which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus. There's a God-shaped vacuum in every person that you encounter. Do you realize that? Would that motivate you? Would that inspire you? Would that encourage you to maybe engage them in a conversation about God, to know there's a vacuum in them? Here's one thing you need to know about me. Until age 21, I didn't acknowledge that. I didn't accept that. I ignored that concept that there was a God-shaped vacuum in me. So when Jesus says, come and you will see, he was hitting them right where they needed to be hit. Jesus wasn't answering the question about where he was staying. He was doing something much bigger than that in his invitation. He was inviting them to gain some insight into the mind and purpose of God himself. There can't be any more nobler task. And and finally, with regard to this portion of the text, it wasn't a brief encounter. It says they stayed with him that day. 
I got to believe. I don't know. You guys have received invitations all the time. You get them in the mail addressed to occupant or you, and you just throw them out. And sometimes you get some invitations that you say, really not interested. You get phone calls that are invitations. You get invitations all the time. This was the greatest invitation these two disciples would ever receive. Now before we return to the text, I want to share with you about Andrew a little bit. Uh, It's important for you to know as much as you can about Andrew because just like learning about the four or five or three friends that John preached to you about last week, it's insightful for you to get as much as you can about Andrew. So permit me to share with you some background about Andrew. The first thing you need to know was he was the background. Why do I say that? There was nothing special about Andrew. There was nothing distinguished about Andrew. He was an ordinary person, just like these friends in Mark. And he could have been you or me. Second, he was engaged in what profession? He was a fisherman. Well, that's pretty rank and file in that particular culture. He wasn't high-flying in society or in a vocational calling. He was just a fisherman. He woke up, he fished, he went to bed. In terms of family, it's very important for you to understand the family dynamic that he experienced. Do you know that he's labeled in all four Gospels as Andrew, the brother of Simon? It's like he didn't have an identity all to himself without tagging on someone else's name. Every time it appears in Scripture, it's Andrew, the brother of Simon. No personal identity, rather defined by another. And I'm mindful there may be someone in this room that has been defined that way. I got an older sister. She's seven years older than me. That was Sandy's brother. I love her. But she was the queen of Sheba in our house. And I was something less. Always identified, not just as Andrew standing alone, but Andrew, the son, I'm sorry, the brother of Peter. Now let me try to illustrate this for you. um, And bear with me because I'm not a musician. I don't have a musical bone in my body. God said when Sherry and I got married and we would be helpmates, she would bring all the musical skill to our particular family. But I want to share with you one thing about an orchestra which I've learned, and this helps me understand Peter and Andrew a little bit better. In every orchestra, uh, people are tuning up before the conductor comes on stage. It's not like the conductor's out there at the very beginning. You just see all these people sitting in chairs and instruments. And there's someone called the first chair. And normally it's a violinist. And that violinist's job is not just to play the symphony or the music. It's to get the orchestra ready. And so the first chair comes up to the front and helps them with his violin get in tune. And he'll look at this section and fiddle a little bit and he'll get to this section. But that's what he's doing. And he is an honored, positioned player. He is the biggest deal other than the conductor. What if he was playing a violin that was a Stradivarius? 
What if he was playing the most famous violin ever created by man? So now you have the first chair playing a Stradivarius. You know who that is in our story here? Peter. Now, in the orchestra, down the line from the first chair are other violinists, and you never learn anything about them. Uh, they're all the same, and they're all playing the same music, and they're all got instruments, but not Stradivariuses. They're Andrew. Do you see the difference? And you've heard the expression second fiddle? Maybe you've played that instrument. And I'm telling you that you need to know that Andrew, in terms of family, was the second fiddle, always in the shadow. Scripture bears that out. Permit me just to take a moment or two and walk you through Scripture and ask you some questions, and you'll see that it is so overwhelmingly obvious that Peter dominated the horizon, dominated the entire scene of Andrew's life, that it must have put Andrew in an awkward situation. So, for example, who was the first disciple listed? Always. Check out any list. Who was the first disciple Peter, who got his name changed by Jesus when he first met him? Peter, who was in Jesus' inner circle? There were 12, but there were also three. And with James and John, there was a third one that sort of got the special views, the biggest deals the peculiarly unique situations like the transfiguration. You think all the disciples were there? No, just the three. So it was James, John, and who? Peter. When the soldiers came to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus, who was the person that pulled out their sword, boldly, courageously attacked one of the people trying to arrest Jesus? Jesus, and by the way, that was the high priest slave, time out. If you're going to combat someone, don't go heads up if you're a Jew against the high priest slave. And he cut off his ear. Who did that? Peter. But there's more. At the start of the book of Acts, this is the book about the early church, and that is the Acts of the disciples. It should have been Acts of all 12, but notice a couple of things. Who is recording, addressing the disciples in a hidden upper room after the death of Jesus, afraid as to what might happen to them? Who's taking charge? Peter. Who has not one but two sermons in the first few chapters of Acts that are recorded forever? Peter. Whose reference does in Acts 4 and 5? Peter. Well, how many times did you utter the word Andrew? Not once. You get a feel now for what's going on maybe between Peter and Andrew? In terms of the disciples, Andrew's never listed first. He's never listed as the leader of a subgroup. (laughs) One commentator says this, Hey, Andrew, no record of preaching a sermon no record of performing a miracle, no record of writing a book of Scripture. By the way, who wrote two books of the New Testament? Peter, not Andrew. Andrew did none of these things. And yet, even though he was not extraordinary and he was just like me and you, he did a remarkable thing. He had two characteristics, though, that were important that are really true for you and I if we embrace the mandate and the mission. 
One is he had a spiritual sensitivity. Fishing was not his life. If fishing was his life, he would have said no to John the Baptist, no to Jesus. But it says he left his nets. Being a disciple of John the Baptist was a big deal, but that wasn't his life. He left that to follow Jesus. He had a spiritual sensitivity, and I wonder from time to time how sensitive I am spiritually. Oh, I've been saved for a long time, and yeah, I do all the right things with regard to quiet time and reading and praying and ministry, but how sensitive am I to spiritual things? That was true of Andrew, a model for us. And the second thing was, he had some spiritual knowledge. He was a disciple. You know what a disciple means? A learner. He was a student. So he had spiritual sensitivity and spiritual knowledge that carried the day for him. In 2019, are you going to have spiritual sensitivity and spiritual knowledge that will make a difference in the way you think, the way you feel, the way you talk, and the way you act. Back to our text. You know something more about Andrew now. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He, that being Andrew, brought him, that being Simon Peter, to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translated means Peter, rock or stone. Again, permit me some observations. What was Peter to do with this great, I'm sorry, what was Andrew to do with this great discovery? Think about that for a second. He had just discovered the Messiah. You know, he didn't have to share it with anybody. You don't share everything that you learn with everybody. Sometimes uh, you think that uh, maybe it's not important enough to share, you're not excited enough about it to share. And and sometimes uh, you consider, I don't need to share it with this person or that person either because they're apathetic or they're not worth it. But let me dig a little deeper with regard to Andrew. Who's his brother? Peter. And who dominated that family dynamic? Peter. In, her, in his weakest moments, is it not possible that Timothy might have been a little envious of his, of his brother? Gee, if only it could be like Peter. And, and Peter's so opinionated and loudmouthed and uh, up front and in your face, uh, he might have been afraid that if he shared this with Peter, he would be ridiculed like he had been in the past so often or just ignored. You know, maybe he was thinking, I'm not going to share this with Peter because I finally am one up on him. But did any of that prevent him from sharing with Peter? Nothing, and that's the most encouraging thing. There was no obstacle, no hindrance that was either logical, emotionally, or mentally that would distract him from the greatest invitation to his brother. Further, note the priority in the text of the invitation. You see the word first? It says, Andrew first 
did something. Now, it's either the first thing he did after he was uh, encountering Jesus, or it was the first person that he chose uh, to bring to Jesus. doesn't make any difference which it is, but it's implying that invitation was on his mind and was going to be continued. Do you notice the simplicity of the invitation? How many words? Five. We have found the Messiah. One commentator says, the most effective five-word sermon ever preached. Now, I'm not a professional preacher, but what if the rules were, you got five words? I've already violated and abused you. But think about that. The most effective sermon ever preached may have been five words. Words. So when you're thinking about engaging with others, remember, you don't need long homilies or sermons. You need the truth that's clear and concise and can be expressed easily. And don't miss this. Notice the action. It says he brought Simon to Jesus. He could have left Simon a note on the table in the kitchen. But he did something. He actually said to Peter, hey, here's what I know. Come with me and I'm going to show you what I know. Do you see the difference between leaving a note and just having an invitation without the introduction? The introduction is where the miracles occur. So if you're thinking of engaging people ministering to them, don't do it from a distance. Do it up close and personal. You know, this, this inviting and introduction of Andrew was in his DNA. You know what your DNA is? It's what your essence is. And how do I know that inviting and introducing was in Andrew's DNA? I know because two other times in Scripture, God chose to immortalize it forever. Come with me to the feeding of 5,000. It's in the same Gospel of John as our text. Scripture says, And a great multitude was following Jesus. And then Jesus gives this question to the disciples to test their faith and says, Where are we to buy bread that these may eat? And one of his disciples Who's the disciple? Was it Peter? Andrew. One of the disciples, Andrew, said to him, Well, there's this lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Do you see the greatest invitation? Hey, lad, you know what? How would you like to meet Jesus? And the lad said, Well, I was just about ready to have my lunch. And I'm looking forward to that bread and those fish. And Andrew says, you know, I still think you should meet Jesus. You see what he did? He invited and took the lad and introduced him to Jesus. Well, that would be enough. 
But there's another episode in Scripture that's recorded forever about Andrew. It's during Passion Week in Jerusalem. The city is alive with people from different nationalities, ethnic backgrounds, religious traditions, and there's tons of people going around, and they're just doing their thing during this high feast time. And there were some Greeks. Now what you need to know about Greeks is that if you were a a Levite or you were a Pharisee or a scribe, a religious dude, as it were, a leader, you hated the Greeks. You didn't want anything to do with the Greeks. You would rather not encounter the Greeks. You would rather not engage the Greeks. And notice what one person did. Now, there were certain Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These, therefore, came to Philip and began to ask Philip saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now note very carefully what's going on here. Philip came and didn't take them to Jesus, felt a need to go see Andrew. Why was that? He didn't need Andrew to get them to Jesus. It's because Philip and Andrew knew what was really important and that Philip needed some help and Andrew was going to encourage him to become an inviter too. And, and noticed in the text, do you see the text about the, who, the two people that came and introduced Jesus, him, them to Jesus? Does it say Philip and Andrew? No, it says Andrew and Philip. And you say, what am I reading into that? You need to understand that every word of Scripture is inspired for some reason to correct and teach us. And I'm suggesting that if the text would have been Philip and Andrew, we would have seen another second fiddle. But who's leading the charge to do the introduction? Andrew. And they came, and Andrew probably did the talking and said to Jesus, hey, here's some Greeks that want to meet you. What was the result of uh, this incident in the text with regard to introducing Peter? Changed his name, Simon, to Peter. That's remarkable enough. But check out the rest of Scripture. Check out the rest of the New Testament. The rest is irrefutable that a changed life, Peter's changed life, helped change the world. It says in Acts, he gave one sermon. How would you like to give a sermon and have 3,000 people become saved? Well, that could never happen to me. I'm not... Peter, be careful, you're who you are. And even though 3,000 people were saved in one sermon, one commentator says about the least likely evangelist, 3,000 were saved through one of Peter's sermons, but without Andrew, there is no Peter the rock, but merely Simon, the fisherman of fish. Andrew was just like Jesus. Andrew just kept extending invitations to everyone. To fishermen, Jesus said, follow me. To the spiritually thirsty, he said, come to me and drink. To the weary and heavy laden, Jesus said, come to me and get rest. Always inviting people, no different than Andrew. Imagine that. A person like most of us, not distinguished in any way, was distinguished by Scripture showing him to be the inviter, the introducer to people in his life and people who he encountered. So, here's the question. 
are you an inviter like Andrew? Are you determined and focused to invite someone to hear the greatest truth, the greatest news? Are you passionate about this invitation? Are you clear and concise if you give the invitation? Are you content in inviting and leaving the results to God? Now, I got to tell you, these things don't describe my normal life. And I confess that to you. I'm preaching to myself, oh, may you go beyond where I am at, and may these things be true for you, determined, focused, passionate, concise, and clear, and content. I would never want your spiritual self-image to hinder you from being an inviter, an introducer. But you know what? It happens to some of us, doesn't it? What's the postscript and the legacy for Andrew? This is one believer, ordinary guy, imperfect, but chosen and transformed. What's his legacy? Remember, someone just like you and me, but what's his legacy? Did you know in the Greek Orthodox tradition, the religious Greek Orthodox tradition, Andrew is known as the first called? He, above all other disciples, is known as the first called. Isn't it amazing that his legacy ended up being the first, not in some miscellaneous list? Did you know that no less than three countries claim him as their patron saint? Go to Russia, go to Greece, go to Scotland and ask one of those natives, who's your patron saint? It's Andrew. And next November 30th, Go to Scotland. And I'll tell you why you should go to Scotland with regard to this sermon. That's a special day in Scotland. It commemorates the death, a martyr's death, of Andrew. November 30th is called St. Andrew's Day. It's not called St. Peter's Day or anybody else. Do you see what his legacy was? And why did he have this legacy? Because he did something as simple as invite and introduce You see, Village Church East is inviting you to be like the friends. That's what John asked you to do last week. And this week, I'm saying, be like Andrew. You're called to invite at least one person in your sphere of influence, in your geographical territory, to hear about the greatest news ever. Now, I told you at the start I was going to leave you with a practical step to do this. We want to be so user-friendly here at Village Church. So not only am I sharing with you truth that you and I should absorb, but I'm going to tell you how to do it, and all the work has been done. This strategy will help you be part of the Great Commission. This strategy will help you be part of the Village Church mission. And it's explore God. It's being like Andrew. Starting next week here, Pastor Craig is going to be preaching seven weeks And each week he's going to address a provocative question that if people were honest, your friends were honest, they might want to know the answers to. Put them on the screen. Does life have a purpose? Is there a God? Why does God allow pain and suffering? Is Christianity too narrow? Is Jesus really God? Is the Bible reliable? Can I know God personally? And if it wasn't enough to have that, you got these back there. These are things you can hand out. You don't even have to talk. You can just knock on the door and say, here, 
and disappear. <laughs> now, remember, the introduction is more important than the invitation, so I would suggest you to lovingly and creatively engage your neighbor or whoever. But this is there for you as, well, it's a card for your benefit. Further, there's going to be discussion questions on the back of each of the sermon notes on these seven, and you can use those to discuss those further with people. You could engage in the community group activity here at this church. A little plug for that if you want to sign up. That's what we're going to be going to as well. Like Jesus did to the two disciples, Andrew, one of them, you're in fact inviting someone not to just attend a church service. Anyone can do that. You're inviting someone to engage in the pursuit of God himself. And there is no higher calling. There is nothing that you should be more excited about. There is nothing that you should realize is more important than that. You with me? Now, there may be someone in this room who has never accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That could be the case. And you know what? I'd be naive to think that that might not be the case. So I have a word for you. If you're here and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I'm not inviting you to invite anybody. I'm just inviting you to come back and spend the seven weeks with us and explore God. People at this church, when they preach, normally respond at the end with a question, so what? Obviously, that's to help you feel that it's relevant to you and figure that out. Obviously, it's to help you respond in some way in obedience and be a doer of the word. But for you people who are committed to the Great Commission and Village Church Mission, I got three so what's for you. There they are. I'd love you to be like Andrew. No excuses, no rationalizations, just be like Andrew. The bar is not that high in terms of religiosity. The bar is high spiritually, but you've been given the Holy Spirit for that. Second, I'd like you to be like Andrew and invite someone to explore God at Village Church East. And then, because we're fearful people, wondering how people will respond, we're people pleasers, we don't want to get on the wrong side of anyone, especially a neighbor, I want you to leave the results up to God and be faithful to these three initiatives. One final thought. What about preachers of sermons that say, so what to you? Don't you get that? And don't you, don't you feel like once you just love to hear what the preacher's so what is? I mean, how dare we stand up here and we just say so what and you be like Andrew and you invite someone to explore God and you leave the results up to God. Wouldn't you like to know what the preacher's so what is? Nod yes. <laughs> I'm going to share with you my so what. It's John and Mary. It's Moss and Margie. It's Rich and Sue. It's Joshua and Joanna. Well, who are they? Those four couples happen to be our adjacent neighbors. And Sherry and I, over 
long and short periods of time have developed relationships with them. And I'm telling you that the so what that I'm preaching to myself doesn't involve these people and you. It involves me with these people. And Sherry and I are committed, fearfully, shaking in our boots to say to these people, would you like to have a different go at church on a Sunday? And come, and come, and, and here's the card, and uh, still like us. No, no, no. This is my so what. And you can feel free to hold me accountable because I believe in what I'm preaching. John believes that he wants to be like one of those friends. I believe I want to be like Andrew. Who is your person or persons to invite? You know what? On your calendar, there's a date that you could put when you're going to talk to one of those people. You don't have to, but things on calendars tend to be done a little more easily. Your invitation or invitations will set the course and will shape your 2019 in a way that you can't even imagine. So, be an inviter, be an introducer. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you accept us just the way we are. And whether distinguished or not, whether equipped or not, whatever our credentials, you have called all of us to be inviters and you've called all of us to be introducers. Oh, may it be so. Thank you so much for your grace for us for the opportunities that you give us. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much. I just pray now that this might be a reality. The church wants us to seize this opportunity. May you bring to mind people and give us the courage to be just like Andrew. Amen.